Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Once I played a penny who just couldn't stop the beat. Yes, with all their skates on her feet. Because it's recently deceased A real cool mom Musical version of Tina Fey Tina Fey Now come with me and fly I am your host, Miss Carrie Butler Together you and I are breaking everyone. Welcome back to Breaking Broadway. Today, I have my good friend, Matthew Scott. You may have seen him in a little show called Jersey Boys, uh, American in Paris on Broadway, Sondheim and Sondheim, a catered affair, and Grand Horizons. Welcome to the show, Matthew Scott. Hey, hey. it's good, good to see you. Good to see you too. I don't remember, have we ever done anything together? Besides concerts, we mostly have done concerts, huh? Concerts. I, I think we did a workshop or two together, but mostly mostly we, shoved in in rooms for concerts. I'm glad. My my brain my brain is is so bad. I'm like, yeah, we actually starred opposite each other. In- <laughs> but t- by all means, tell that story instead. <laughs> that would yeah. be embarrassing. <laughs> that was Cheyenne Jackson and um, not me. Um, so I usually like to start the podcast with everybody sort of telling their journey to, um, how they found theater and how they eventually made it to Broadway. Amazing. All right. Well, um, I grew up in New Jersey, so, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Bergen County, uh, I pretty much can see my house from where I am now. Not really, but, um, but I am directly, uh, I'm up, (laughs) I live up by the bridge now, so I'm, I'm up, uh, in the Heights. And oh, I'm nice. almost directly across the river. My mother is still there. Yeah, no, I grew up in New Jersey, um, and I I started 
you know, to come into the city pretty early on with my mom and dad to, to see shows and to see uh, concerts and cabaret acts. I was like a very odd kid. I was like 13 years old sitting in the audience at the Oak Room or the Cafe Carlisle or Rainbow and Stars. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like always the youngest one there with my mom or my voice teacher. And, um, and so, yeah, I just very, very early on started coming and seeing things. I had an affinity for it. I remember... I think I was in maybe fourth grade and uh, my mother used to coach cheerleading at our, at, at the high school. And I have three older brothers. So, so some of them were in high school at, at that time. And I got brought to cheerleading practice every day after school, which was not the worst <laughs> thing in the world in retrospect. But um, there was one afternoon where it was, uh, the weather was terrible. And so they brought all the girls inside and they were in the hallway practicing outside of the theater. And for a period of about 45 minutes, uh, I went missing, as my mom says. I went missing and not, all the girls were searching the halls. No one could finally, they finally ducked into the theater where they were teching um, the show for that evening, which was Mystery of Edwin Drood. And um, they saw me sitting in the back row, just leaning forward, like fixed to the <laughs> stage. Um, and, you know, after some choice expletives, my mother was like, what are you doing? I said, I just want to stay in here. And I stayed in there for the rest of her practice. And she came and got me. And um, she said, you know, that they're doing that show tonight. Do you want to go and see it? And I said, yes. And if you know Mystery of Evan Drood, the ending of the show changes depending upon who the audience votes to be the murderer at the end of the show. Well, when I realized that, I turned to my mom and said, can we come back tomorrow? <laughs> and we did. And then we went and saw every other show after that night, which was pretty wild. Now, oh. here's a fun little tid. Was that your first it show? It was the first show I saw as a kid, like the first time oh. I sat in a theater oh. and watched a show. Wow. High school. Yeah, I was, but I was in fourth grade and it was a high school production. Here's the fun mm -hmm. fact for you and I. Um, mm -hmm. The actor playing Neville in that production was our agent, Tim Marshall. Oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And I never let him live it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. The whole production was fantastic. And um, I often remind him of that. But yeah, so that was my kind of entry into it. And then after that, you know, my, I think my mom said to my dad, like, I think he likes theater. We should we should go into this. Because my mom and dad would go and see plays and musicals all the time. We should take mm -hmm. them and see something. So the very first um, show I saw on Broadway, I think when I was like 11 years old, was The Goodbye Girl. Bernadette Peters and Martin Short. Oh, yeah. And same thing. I was like transfixed. I could not take my eyes off the two of them. Um, and I, I just fell in love with it. I, I and I, I never looked back from then. I think they knew at that moment, you know, that this was something that they needed mm -hmm. to nurture. I come from a very athletic mm -hmm. family. We're all athletes. We all played sports, but my, my, my father was an incredible athlete. My brothers were all incredible athletes. There was some music in the family, but very little. And, um, I think when they realized that this was something I was into, they were like, okay, how do we, how do we nurture this? And I have to give them credit because, you know, they didn't know how and they didn't know where to look or where to send me or where to go, but we figured it out. 
And uh, from that point on, you know, I just started auditioning for the shows in my middle school. I didn't do uh, the musical my freshman year in high school because I, I was still playing sports and I wanted to play sports. But then I remember going to see the production of West Side Story that freshman year and being so envious that I passed up the opportunity to be in it. So the, the next year I, I went yeah. out for it. And uh, and I, I had a wonderful teacher and director who then pointed me um, toward colleges because I knew nothing about colleges or college programs. And, you know, as wow. you're aware at that time, there, there weren't as many as there are now, you know, no, I'm a college, yeah. I'm a college professor now too. So I know a lot more about oh, the process. I t- yeah. I teach at, uh, I teach at the new studio on Broadway at, at NYU and I teach at the Manhattan school of music and, um, wow. yeah. And there are tons of programs now. Not all of them are great, yes. but there are tons of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but back yeah. then there weren't. And I had a, a teacher who said, you know, you should look at this, this school called, uh, Carnegie Mellon. And so that was <laughs> only the hardest school to get into. <laughs> it it was difficult to get into. It was difficult to get into. I say now that I would not have gotten into. I wouldn't get into that school today. Um, it's so mm. much. I didn't get in. <laughs> I mean, I where's the in. justice in that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so many people have said those that same thing. I never got in there. You know, um, but today I wouldn't because the field mm-hmm. is. You know, the competition is five times as many students applying and auditioning for still the same amount of slots, 10, 11 kids in a program. So, you know, when you do the math, it doesn't really add up, but that's, that's how I, I made my way. And, uh, I got out of, out of CMU and I, I came home because I lived so close to the city. I was able to live at home, um, and not yeah. spend a lot of money, <laughs> um, when I wasn't, you know, working or when I was searching for jobs. And then, um, about a year and a half out of school, I, I booked Jersey boys and that was kind of the, the moment, um, when it all, you know, turned around a little bit. Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn, and I always feel like you have such a leg up from everyone you went to school with if, like, you live here because you don't have to worry about totally. getting an apartment, and it's so hard. Did you, did you so ever live at home? People. Did you ever live at home in any yeah, – Oh, yeah. I mean, I – Well, I've been I've been in the business right. since I was – my parents put me in the business, like, right, right away, so I had been doing it all that time, but yeah. I, I, I always forget that you're from first. Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, just equally mm-hmm. as convenient for you to, to, to be able to, to be home. And, yeah. and also you just, you, you have a different kind of perspective on the city. You know what I mean? I think people coming out of school, um, many of them, it's their first time, you know, depending upon if they're coming from the yeah, Midwest totally or the green. West coast and they're yeah. like, Oh my God, the city. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it gives you that leg up too. Yeah. But it's it's no, it's no less expensive, that's for sure. And that was prohibitive for me. That's why when I got out of school, I remember my college roommate was like, let's look for an apartment. We started to look and I was like mid-sweats, panic attack in the back of a cab going like, I can't do this. I don't have a job. What are we, how are we going to pay for this? You know? Yeah. And, um, and, yeah. it's, and it is a, it's a really tough business and it's a really tough city. When I, when I talk to these kids about, you know, taking out college loans and things like that, I say this, yeah. the business is not going to pay that back to you. <laughs> you have to kind of be prepared that, you know, if you take out $200,000 in loans, you will likely not make that back. Um, or at least in a, in a reasonable yeah. amount of time. Yeah. yeah. I just did a whole series on the podcast on like ways you can supplement your income because all of us, I mean, none of us really can make an, a living from doing Broadway. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to, when you get that Broadway job, then you have to like save it up and <laughs> make it last a really long time. And you never, you really never know 
how long that gig is going to last. You don't have any right, idea, right. you know, if you're, if you're going to get offered a job again after that, you know, I, I think yeah. what, what you're hitting on, which um, is hard to comprehend when you're 17, 18, 20 years old, is that when you get a, you get a job, you get a big job, you get a big opportunity, mm-hmm. you kind of, your brain tricks yourself and goes, oh, well, then this is what it's like now. Um, right. And for some, it, it can be that way. But for many, it's not. It's these lean periods. Um, I don't think the the college programs really do enough to prepare kids for what you were just talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah, about, hey, how yeah. do you supplement that? How do you create something on your own? How do you work a day job or work all night at a bar and still have the energy and the stamina to audition all day? Or And um, right. they just kind of say, like, you're going to go out there and you're going to conquer it. Um, yeah. But it is it is tricky. I, I immediately started teaching and coaching and doing things like that. I don't know if you ever held down like a day job or anything like, did did you ever like wait tables or do anything like that? Uh, I did a little bit. I actually worked on the spirit of New York as a singing waitress. Did you really? (laughs) Oh my God. Did did they still? a lot of drinks on people. (laughs) Well, what do they expect? Come on. (laughs) You spilled a lot of drinks. Do you have some amazing stories about spilling cocktails on people? Um, Wait, is that still a thing? The spirit of New York, the, the. Yeah, they, they still, they still, I think, I don't know why they still have singing waiters, oh my gosh. but I know there's still the spirit of New York for sure. That's incredible. Um, and so speaking of this and supplementing your work, when we did a concert together and you were telling me that you were creating this show, which I always encourage my listeners to do too. I'm like, you have to create your own work. Um, was it, when you were telling me about it, was it already done or were you in the process of creating it? I was pretty close. I was pretty close to, yeah, I was pretty close to being, getting it up and going. I, I, I was trying to remember exactly. Right, but it wasn't out there It wasn't yet. out it wasn't there out yet. Out I couldn't remember when, when yeah. we did that thing. That was a very. Because I, I remember you telling me this. Yeah. I remember you telling me the story and being like, oh my gosh, this is so good. You have to do it. We were locked in a green room, AKA a cafeteria. And um, <laughs> I was I was like, I had you as a captive audience. And I was like, let me see if Carrie bites on any of this. And she finds this amusing um, because I hadn't done it yet. So I hadn't put it out into the world yet. And I remember, um, you know, the show is, is really vulnerable for me to do. It's, it's really funny, but I think it is. Yeah. These are things that I think. And so um, I was like, let me see. Carrie's funny and she's really smart if she reacts to any of this. And you were totally like, I remember you were really um, hooked on the idea of it. And I was so appreciative. I think I did it like yeah. a couple of weeks or a month later. That was the first go round. So. And um, I was shocked at how well it went. You know, you kind of, you build something, you put it out yeah. into the world. You don't know what what's, you're going to be met with. And at the time too, I wasn't expecting a return on the investment. You know, I think I just knew I needed to do it. I need to write it. I need to put it out there. And the story of how I created it is a very long story. It spans like 25 years. But um, so I knew at that point, I was like, I have to do this. And it was mid pandemic and nothing else was happening. And, uh, I had just, we had just had our first son and I, I just started writing. And so I think I contacted my friend, Sean Hartley, who runs the Kaufman center. And I said, I have something and he read it and he was like, yes, let's do it. And you know, the minute that happened, I was like, oh no, oh no, I have to do it. Oh boy. Um, you know, cause he was like, yeah, I really want to do this. 
And uh, it was amazing. It was really scary. It was really enlightening. And then since that time, uh, I've built on it. I've altered it. I've changed it. We've taken it to the O'Neill. Um, uh, John, John, John McDaniel brought, uh, asked me to bring it to the O'Neill. So we did that last summer. Uh, we've been at 54 below. We're back at 54 below on September 26 for like a return engagement of it. Uh, I'll be at, uh, my friend, Lauren Kennedy's theater, theater Raleigh out in, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina on September 22nd. And then we have a string of, um, dates like, uh, for Feinstein's and, and Carmel and Blue Strawberry in St. Louis for, for later in the fall. We'll be back with Breaking Broadway right after this message. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then we, we turned it into an album. Um, PS Classics uh, approached me about recording it, and we recorded it. So this little idea that started when I was 18 years old, um, which was a very different concept at the time and a very different thought in my brain because I was neither married nor was I a father. Um, and none of those things came into play. Um, it's, it's developed over the course of two and a half decades and here it is. And, and now I get to do it and, uh, bring it do you want to tell people yeah. a little bit about the story? Yeah. So, you know, it's called the Jesus year. Uh, well, that was the original title, the Jesus year. Um, the, the album and now the new title for the show is the Jesus year, a letter from my dad. And the reason is, um, it's not a, it's not a religious show. It's not meant to, to feel like it's mm -hmm, spiritual, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of spirituality to it. Um, but it's, it's not a religious show. Yes. The, the idea is that when I was 13 years old, my, my father passed away. I'm the youngest of four boys and, um, a handful of months, six months, seven months after his death. Uh, my mother finally got around to cleaning out some of like his personal things. And she was cleaning out the roll top desk where he worked in the family room. And she stumbled upon like a yellow legal pad. And she started to notice on the pad that he had been writing letters and notes to his sons and never told anyone. And actually he started it over 40 years ago. He started it before I was born because I am added in a year later in a different pen. So it predates me by a year. And it's, it starts to my beautiful first son, Ryan, 
to my beautiful second son, Brendan, to my beautiful third son, Michael. And then a year later, I'm added to my beautiful fourth son, Matthew. And the first words of the letter are, um, hi, guys, I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, what prompted me, my ego, the Holy Spirit, I don't know. But I don't know when I'm going to die. And <laughs> he launches in mm. to, wow. to say, these are some things I've learned in my life that I might not ever get to share with you. And so I've started writing them down. And he did. He wrote, um, he wrote about, you know, communication and spirituality and marriage and sex and relationships and communication. I think I said that one already. Um, and money and um, friendships. Mm. And he would write. Wow. Little, yeah. And he would write little. It makes me cry hearing it again. I know. It's, it's a deeply, <laughs> like, beautiful, powerful thing, you know, to, to think that he would sneak down there, you know, late at night when we were all asleep yeah. and, and write these letters when no one knew and the lights were off in the entire house, except for, you know, a little lamp on his roll top desk. And, um, and that's where the germ of this idea came from. When I was 18, I took this letter and I turned it into like a monologue piece in my, my senior year of high school, uh, drama class. And, uh, oh. and yeah. And my teacher was like, what possessed you to play your father to do, you know, to do all this. But from that moment on, I knew that I wanted to sing. And over the years I would revisit it. And if I remembered a story or if I remembered a moment, I would write down the story on a cocktail napkin or, or on a, a, a notepad next to the hotel, you know, side table or in the margins of a script um, or just walking down the street on my phone. If I remembered a story about my dad or something that, because you know, as you get older, those stories start to, to fade away. They start to, you know, become different. Your, your, right. your brain shapes them differently. And I thought, but I want to remember. And so if I remembered, I would write it down. And then I would start to correlate some of those things to music. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to sing. And I was at the O'Neill doing a show 13 years ago um, with uh, Vadim Feichner, was the music director. We all know Vadim. Vadim's married to Leslie Kritzer. He's amazing. Oh, and I said, yes. uh, you're my guy for this. I need you to do this. That was 13 years ago. And it finally came back around when both Vadim and my director, wow. Joe Calarco, were both able to jump on board with this. And they really helped me shape it into what it is today, which is a very different show because when I started writing it, like I said, I wasn't married. Um, I've been married for 14 years now, but I, I wasn't married then. And we didn't have kids. And I remember writing it and um, handing a, a draft of it to Joe and him being saying to me, what do you think it's about? And I was like, oh, my God why is he asking me that way? <laughs> like, I wrote it. Why should I have to, why should I have to explain what this is about? It's on the page. And I struggled. I like actually struggled to define it because to me, it was about all of these things. So many things. He said, it's, I don't think it's about your dad anymore. I said, I think it's about you becoming a dad. And um, he was totally right as usual. And uh, that sort of shifted the trajectory of it. And from there, you know, it just kind of, developed and changed and we've added things and we've taken things away as we've gotten to do it in front of audiences. We've seen what, what works. Um, there's a ton of humor in it because my dad was really funny. So when I mm. pull those stories out um, about some of the things he did, he loved to embarrass his children. Um, <laughs> when I pull some of those stories out, you know, they're very universal for people. And what I'm finding yeah. is that the, 
the more specific you are, you know, we're, we're talking here about creating your own work. So the less you try and please the audience, the less you try and write what you think people might be interested or might need. And the more you write mm. what you need and what you want to say and what you're actually experiencing, the more universal it becomes. The more specific you are with yourself, the more it applies to everyone. So because I'm able to tell this story so specifically and talk about him so specifically and talk about my, my boys and my wife so specifically, people in the audience are able to grasp what they need from it. And it might not correlate directly to being a father or being a son or having lost a parent, but I've had so many people reach out to me that I've old friends who are like, oh my God, your dad. And I remember the stories and I listened to the album and I'm, I was a mess driving to work. Then I've had people who I have mm. never met in my life who are like my, you know, best friend's sister who I looked up to when I was a kid. And it's not the same thing. That's not a, a father son relationship, but the loss is there yeah. and the lessons were, were there. And, um, so people are, are responding to it and that's been the most fulfilling part of it is that I think it's providing like a little bit of, uh, this sounds so, uh, um, it's providing a little bit of healing maybe. It's helping people, you know, kind of yeah. kind of, kind of deal yeah. with loss in their own way. But like I said, it's super funny. And um, because I knew, you know, I heard his voice in my head saying, if you're going to do this, you cannot make this maudlin. You cannot make this, <laughs> you have to make people laugh. So um, I love that. So what did your mom say when she saw yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> the hardest thing in in putting this out into the world was preparing my family for it. And I think I, I blew up in my brain what that was going to be like. Um, for my mother, you know, my mom and dad dated from the time they were 13 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So they, they met when they were kids. They fell in love. Uh, they were married, they had four boys, and then that was, that was it. My mom never married again. She never dated again. So she wow. lost her best friend in the world. Um, I think she sees me and him a lot or sees him and me a lot, I should mm -hmm. say. And mm -hmm. so uh, she's always been the most supportive figure in my life, certainly in, in terms of my, my art, but just in my life. And so I think it brought her a lot of joy, actually. I was worried about it, mm -hmm. but um, but I, I didn't say anything that was hurtful or um, that would that would have upset her. I think it was much more of a celebration of of him and of of their getting together. I tell a great story about how they met as kids. They they lived one town apart. They were. And, the, and they were referred to as brook hoppers, that the kids in these two towns, these adjoining towns, coined this term to describe the children who would cross the brook to see their sweetheart on the other side, which uh -huh. is such a very different time, obviously, you know. Um, and uh, and then I sing a, a great, you know, four season song, well, Frankie Valley song called Our Day Will Come, um, which is all about, mm -hmm. you know, growing up and getting older and being able to spend the rest of your life together. Um, the biggest struggle for me was really with my brothers because there's more strain there in that relationship. Oh. Um, uh -huh. And uh, they both, uh, two of the middle ones um, struggle with addiction, have struggled with addiction. Um, there was a lot of lost time and lost years in there. And I remember as a kid feeling like, uh, because I was the youngest, I wasn't particularly taken care of in the way, you know, you would hope you would be um, when you lose a parent. But but over the years, and certainly through the writing of this show, what I've come to realize is they were grappling with 
as so right. much. They were grappling with the loss of their dad and they had known him longer and um, they were struggling with a lot of things. So that's in the show. Because I remember doing an early version and a friend of mine called me out and he's like, you basically don't talk about your brothers. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to go down that that road. And he said, uh-huh. you can't, like you can't avoid it. And Joe said the same thing to me. He said, you can't avoid it. Wow. So I had to kind of prep them. And uh, I remember talking to my brother, Michael, and saying, hey, <laughs> you're going to come and see this. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a couple of moments in there and he, you know. Goes, hey, Maddie, look, it happened. What, what can I say? I did it. You know, like, you know, it, no denying um, it. You know, he said, I, mm-hmm. I know you're, I know dad would have wanted you to tell the truth too. So um, oh. that was the, that was the biggest challenge for me. Once I, I got over that hurdle, um, I, it opened up a lot more and I, I had permission to go a bit further um, inside of it. Mm-hmm. And he's still yet to see it. He's going to see it in a couple of weeks. So that's, that'll be interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for people who, you know, are thinking about creating their own show? Yeah. I mean, I think that <sighs> you've heard this before. I, I think people say, you don't know if you can't write, you know, you'll never know unless you start to do it. And mm-hmm. so just start to put paper to pen. I mean, the great thing about having a phone with a note section <laughs> um, is yeah. that as soon as a, you, you always have your phone with you, you know, you might not always be at a computer. You might not always have a, a pad and paper, but you always have your phone with you. As soon as a thought pops into your brain, write it down. The re the reason is, you know, you won't remember it as clearly as you did in whatever moment it came to you walking down eighth Avenue or on the subway platform or um, you know, in the middle of the night, you just won't remember it. So write it down, write down whatever you can. Um, there's, you know, that episode of Seinfeld where Jerry Seinfeld has a, has a joke come to him in the middle of the night and then he doesn't write it down. He cannot remember for the entire, he cannot remember how it went. And it's so true. So I look at my phone and I have notes. I have hundreds of notes on my phone. Um, some of them are really great ideas. (laughs) Some of them are terrible, but I wrote them all down the minute they came to me. Um, for me, I wanted to tell a, a specific story. So I right. knew I knew that I had a source material, right? I had this letter and I read from the letter and I incorporate parts of the letter. I hold back some of the letter. It's not for everyone. It was obviously written for me. So, um, you know, I have to be cognizant of the fact that, but there's a lot that applies to the human condition. There's a lot that can be helpful to people. So I, I had this source material. Um, and I got approached, you know, very early on when I was doing Sondheim on Sondheim by people who were like, you should put together an act and we'll, t- we'll take it around and we'll, we'll book you at all the si- Feinstein's clubs. And we'll do, and I was like, well, what, what would I do? What would I say? Oh, I don't know. Throw together an evening of Cole Porter. You know, that was the, the response mm-hmm. and which I love those, those shows by the way. And I love those nights and I own all those recordings. Um, <laughs> but that's not what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to, I want to say something specific. Um, so when the idea kind of formed itself, I had my notes to go back to. And like I said, I wrote them on cocktail napkins and in the margins of scripts. And then I shoved all that into a binder. Um, and I was able to go back to it and look at it. So I think you just kind of collect ideas. Do you know who uh, David Sedaris is? He's a satirist. He's a writer. He's one of my yeah. favorites. You know, he always travels with like a little pad in his back pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. and the way he writes, you kind of, it's almost impossible 
to believe that all those things happened to him <laughs> or happened in that uh-huh. way, but he really captures the moment because he doesn't let the moment go unnoticed. He doesn't let it go by without, you mm. know, putting it down. Um, so that's my biggest advice is you don't know if you're a writer, um, until you start to do it. Everyone has something to say. Everyone has something to share. I think the biggest thing that keeps people back from doing these, these shows, and I've worked on a lot of other people's shows. I've worked on Rob McClure's show. I've helped Rob build his show. I, I helped Kara Lindsay build her show. And, you know, there are the conversations like, well, what do I have to, what is worth sharing? Like what it happened? Why is it so important that it happened to me that other people need to hear it? And so we get in our own way a lot of times about that. Right. Um, people want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear your story. They want to know that others are going through similar things. And um, especially people, you know, who are, um, you know, who they admire. But um, yeah, that's my biggest advice. I write it down. I do that with my students too in school. You know, I, I, I make them write and um, perform their pieces. And it's probably the scariest thing they have to do all year long. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's the thing that they're most grateful for that they got to do. Yes. And some of them really discovered like they have a voice, you know, and yeah. then they go on yeah. and they, they keep, they keep with it. That's great. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story with us. Um, and let people know, uh, again, they're going to be able to get the recording yeah. of your show. Yeah. So, uh, the, the Jesus here, a letter from my dad, it's, uh, it's everywhere. Um, you can buy it directly from the the label psclassics.com or you can stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes. It's everywhere. Um, and then the the live performance where we're going to be, if you're in the Raleigh area, we'll be at Theater Raleigh on September 22nd. Uh, and if you're in New York City or the tri-state area, we'll be at 54 Below on September 26th. Um, and then we have a couple of uh, spots in... Um, October, November, but uh, people can follow me on social media. Um, I, I post, yes, yes, post a lot them. about that. I'm on Twitter. I'm on um, Instagram. Tell them your handles. Yeah, actually, uh, let me see because don't I have to look at that, <laughs> Carrie, because I don't know what my handle oh, is. No, Matthew Scott's a very common name. This is a horrible handle. You'll find me. Oh, if, yes, t- yes. I, yes, I've oh, seen your terrible. handle. Yeah. Type in my name and you'll find it, but it's literally m.a.t.t.h.e.w underscore s.c.o.t.t. It's terrible. Yeah. You'll find me online. Uh, you, you need to listen to my episode on social media. I, I need to do a lot of things I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was I'm so hesitant to be on it. I think the only reason to yeah. follow me on social media is because I post cute pictures of my kids. <laughs> but I do occasionally post about, you know, uh things like this. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah, for joining us, you. everyone. I, I can't wait to listen to your album. I'm gonna thank get you, thank it. You. Oh, please do, yeah. Appreciate that very much. Thanks, Thanks Carrie. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a masterclass or a talk back, please reach out at carriebutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast and want more episodes, please go to bpn.fm slash breaking broadway and subscribe, like, or share. Together you and I are breaking
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.